Welcome to At the Movies this year. Mm. I say this year because this is actually year two. For you guys, it might be year one. But for me, it's year two. Um, This is the second time we've done this series. And um, the whole point of this series, why we're doing it, is is this, okay? Um, We like movies, that's true, but that's not really the the biggest focus of it. Um, But but most of us, we go and we we see these movies, these summer blockbusters. That's, That's pretty common for us. And the idea is this, is that when we begin to experience Jesus, when we begin to experience um, Christianity and the Holy Spirit, what happens is we, we start to see those God facts in places where it wasn't even initially intended to be. We'll go to a movie, and although it's written by a director who maybe has nothing to do with Christianity, and, and the actors have nothing to do with Christianity— while we watch this movie, we begin to see truths, and we begin to see things that are from the Bible, and we say, hey, that reminds me a lot of this. And you know, that really reminds me a lot of this, because when that truth gets in us, we start seeing pieces of it, even in stuff that wasn't necessarily intended. So we, we look at these movies, and then what we do is, is beyond what maybe the director even ever planned on, we look and say, isn't it funny how you can see this parallel to God's work? And that's our goal in these, is that um, when you look at these movies, you would see these parallels, you would understand. It's a way that hopefully I can communicate an idea to you. Um, I'll say this, just because we preach on a movie doesn't mean we like highly endorse it. Some of these movies, just depending on what your own standards are, you might not want to see. Maybe you don't like movies like that, or maybe you don't like movies with some of the content they have. We don't endorse these movies like, hey, go out and see them. But if you have seen them, it applies quite well. They're usually some of the most popular ones in the summer that we'll go ahead and look at. Um, so don't be offended if you say, well, wait a second. There was unmarried kissing in that movie. There was unmarried kissing in this movie. Wasn't anything more than that, but I'm just saying. But this week we're starting off this new series, and I thought we should start off right with arguably, because everyone has a different opinion, arguably the biggest movie of this summer. I don't know about you guys, but there was a lot of hype about this movie. Tons and tons. The Dark Knight Rises. A lot of people were talking about it. A lot of people were waiting for it, expecting on it, because it was the final chapter in a three-part saga. And people were wondering, what is going to happen in this? And I think also it's kind of fun, too, because apparently, like, every other movie nowadays is a superhero movie. So I guess it's fitting that we would start with a superhero movie because there's like a million of them now. Um, This will be the only superhero movie we do for the series. So for you guys who aren't superhero fans, it's okay. Don't worry. It won't be that bad. It'll be one message. But I thought we should get some backstory because Batman, he's a very, very in-depth character. There's so much to Batman, especially if you go back behind it. So let me give you some rundown on this because maybe you don't even know how far the story goes back. Did you know that Batman was created in 1939? 1939, he was originally created and he was put into circulation in 1940 in comic books. And he became one of the favorites right away. Batman stood out. Lots of people loved Batman. And for years and years after that, we saw tons of reaction. We saw they had TV shows. Who remembers the old TV show? Oh, me me too. I used to watch that after, like, kindergarten. When I got off on half days, my grandma would have, like, them taped. 
and I would watch them because I thought they were so terrific. Adam West, right? Oh, man, seriously, so good, right? Tons and tons of bat merchandise. Man, probably someone out there still has bat merchandise. Maybe their kids are still wearing bat merchandise. It's still all the way to this day, people, or maybe some of you guys, some of those guys, you know, you guys have the boxers with the Batman logos on them. They're all over the place. It's everywhere. But I thought this was pretty interesting, and you guys may or may not remember this depending on how old you are. This movie is the eighth Batman movie. Did you know that? This is number eight, okay? There was a litany of different Batmans, too. See if you remember these. First, there was Adam West. Then there was Michael Keaton, who did two Batman movies. Val Kilmer, who did one. The stud that a lot of girls find attractive. George Clooney, who did one, indeed. And then Christian Bale, who's done the most Batman movies. He did three in a row for this, um, what they call a Batman reload, because it was taken from a whole different perspective. Uh, Christopher Nolan did it from kind of a, a little bit of a darker perspective, I guess. And this is what's interesting. People said Christopher Nolan reloaded this to be darker, and they said they didn't know if they should go that way. But what's interesting is actually that's how the original comic was made. They delineated away from that and made it a lot more family-friendly. But if you go back to the original comic, it's actually a lot darker like Christopher Nolan's take on Batman, which is kind of interesting. I say all of that just to tell you a little bit of backstory so you know Batman. He is still one of the favorites. In 2011, IGN.com did a poll and asked who were the 100 top comic book heroes of all time, and Batman came in number two. Can anyone guess number one? Superman. Superman. Very good. Other Batman fans? Anyone? Batman fans? Raise the hands up high. Batman fans. Okay, awesome. Awesome. I love the old Batman, but can I just say for a second... I kind of don't get it. The man has no superpowers. He's the only superhero who has no superpowers. And for you guys out there who aren't comic fans, you're like, wait a second, Batman doesn't have superpowers? No, he doesn't. What he has is he has an amazing intellect. When the writers put it together, what they said that Batman had was an amazing intellect, a strong and well-trained body, and endless riches to be able to fuel his conquest. That was what it was. And still to this day, if you guys know him, he's not like some sort of superhero, but luckily he's a rich boy, and he can make a bunch of awesome toys that help him get the job done. So I, sometimes I kind of don't really get it. Like I said, this movie was actually super anticipated for this year. It did quite well, believe it or not. This movie has grossed $959 million worldwide to date right now. So it'll probably reach a billion dollars before it is done, which is crazy. How many people out there saw it? Go ahead and throw your hand up. So we got a few. Not that many, though. So, okay. For you guys who haven't seen it, you have to take my word for it. Because I'm going to give you the rundown of the story, and I need you guys to go off that and then believe me. Because you didn't get to see it. So you have to believe when I tell you this happened in the movie that I'm not lying to you. Like the, the part at the end where the shark comes up and eats Batman was so good. That was a lie. See, you should be able to say, like, wait a second. That doesn't sound like that happened. But I won't lie to you. From here on out, anything I tell you about the movie, and I promise you anything I tell you about God's word is going to be true. So here's the deal, okay? This is the third movie in this series, and this movie comes eight years after the last one. Eight years since the second movie has happened. And in that second movie, if you guys had seen that one, at the end, Batman takes a fall for a very bad guy. Harvey Dent, he was this 
figurehead, and he turned into a monster, and he ended up killing a bunch of people and all these things. But they needed Harvey Dent as a symbol to fight against crime. So Batman agreed. He says, basically, I'm a servant to the people. He agreed to take the fall for all of this bad fallout. And basically, he disappeared. He had to leave because he carried all of this shame and all this false lies about him being a murderer and all this stuff. So Harvey Dent could be propped up and pointed to as someone who fights against crime so they could try to rally people against organized crime. So Batman really, he gives up everything to be able to do this. This comes eight years later, and Batman's been out of the game. I mean, for eight years, he's been withdrawn in his house, not really going out and about. And that's what we kind of see is, is where we meet Batman and where he comes from. The problem is, is that a new evil rises in Gotham. This man, the character who saw the masked man named Bane, comes back and he amasses an army underneath of Gotham in the sewers. He builds this big army and the commissioner basically tells him, we need the Batman again. We need someone to come back because this is worse than we ever thought it would be and we need someone like you who can actually fight with these guys on their own level. So Batman has to come back even though he's been out of it for a long time and he has to fight to regain everything that he had and come back to it. During this time that he was off, Bruce Wayne, who is... Very good. Batman, that's who he is. That's like Clark Kent to Superman. Bruce Wayne is to Batman. That's who he is when he's not being um, the masked crusader here. But he developed this awesome technology. And it's a clean energy technology. And he built this awesome, it's this fusion-like reactor thing. And it's supposed to provide clean energy for an entire city. And he's made this awesome discovery. But he won't let anyone touch it because he realizes that this awesome device could be turned into an awesome weapon. And he's afraid because he says, I don't really trust people with it yet. Bane, unfortunately, comes, he takes over, and he steals this device. He takes it, he modifies it with a scientist, and he turns it into, basically, a nuclear warhead. And with this, the story really starts where he takes this bomb, and he takes control of Gotham City. He comes, he brings it out in the middle of actually a football game, which you saw there, and he basically takes control of the city with this bomb, saying there's no way it can be disarmed, and that basically the city is now changing. But here's what's interesting. He takes control of the city, but he, he does it in a totally different way than you might expect, because you'd figure, of course, someone who was like him would, would set the bomb up, and he'd say, I'm taking over, and everyone's going to listen to me. But he says something completely different. He announces Gotham's takeover, but he says it in this way. Gotham, take control. Take control of your city. Behold the instrument of your liberation. And he points to this bomb. He says, we come not as conquerors, but as liberators to return control of this city to you, the people. He comes to take over the city, but what's interesting is he says, I'm not taking over at all. What I'm doing is, is I'm taking over control from all these people who've lorded over you, and I'm giving it back to you, the people, that now you have control over the city. That this bomb is a means of liberation, and now you all can take control and rise up, and you take this city as your own. This is the idea that I want to talk to you about today. It's symbolism of the real world and of the spiritual realm. And what I want to talk to you about is this, false freedom. False freedom is what I want to talk about. 
Bain comes and he says, I'm not going to take control of the city. This is simply to liberate you. And now you're finally free. He says, you're in control. Well, Bain in this story, you might guess, he is a symbol of Satan. He is a symbol of the enemy of God. And him coming and doing this is actually quite fitting because the nuclear warhead, what he says is the symbol of, of liberation, it is a representation of sin. It is a representation of the things that are anti-God, the things that are against God's will. And Bain comes and he says that this instrument is going to bring you freedom. It's going to break off the chains of those who oppress you. It's going to shatter the mold of people who control you. And now you take control of this city. It's actually quite similar to a story that I know from the Bible. If you guys have your Bible, um, Genesis, very first book in the Bible. And in chapter, uh, chapter 3, there starts this story. I'm going to read it for you. I'm going to read you Genesis 3, 1 through 7. This is how the story goes, okay? You guys know the Garden of Eden, right? Garden of Eden, God created man, he created woman, he put him in this garden, he hung out with them. I mean, they were in tight communion with God. Adam and Eve, the first man and woman, and they literally hung out with God. I mean, they talked. Face to face, they were friends, right? And this is how the story goes, starting in Genesis 3, 1 through 7. It says, the serpent was the shrewdest of all the wild animals the Lord had made. One day he asked the woman, did God really say to you uh, that you must not eat the fruit from any of the trees in this garden? And she says, of course we may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, the woman replied. It's only the fruit from that tree in the middle of the garden that we're not allowed to eat. God said, you must not eat it or even touch it. If you do, you will die. Basically, there's this one tree in the middle of the garden. And God said, man, take care of everything Eat all the fruit you want, but don't touch that one tree. You touch that one tree, it will bring death into your life. Verse 4. You won't die, the serpent replied to the woman. God knows that your eyes will be opened as soon as you eat it. And you will be like God, knowing both good and evil. Says the woman was convinced. She saw that the tree was beautiful and its fruit looked delicious. And she wanted the wisdom that it would give her. So she took some of the fruit and ate it. Then she gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate it too. Guys, don't ever try to point the blame at Eve. I know she was first, but it says, you see where he was? Right there. She's like, tasty, eat, and he's like, and he eats it. (laughs) At that moment, their eyes were opened, and they suddenly felt shame at their nakedness. So they sewed fig leaves together to cover themselves. You know, the story sounds rather parallel to me. The serpent comes to Eve and he says to her, he says, can you, can you, you know, can you not eat any of this fruit? And she says, no, just this one tree. God said, don't eat that one tree because it's going to bring death in your life. And he says to her, no, no, no. No, see, that's going to bring increased knowledge. You're going to begin to understand something. God just doesn't want you to have that. He's just afraid that if you had that, it would be so good. And, and, you want and what he does is he lies to her, and it's the same thing. Wouldn't you know, he says, you will learn the difference between good and evil. Increased freedom. Increased freedom. You can take, and if you eat this, your freedom will increase. You will know more. As humans, we are naturally good at rebelling, aren't we? 
I mean, aren't we just natural? Anyone got kids out there? And isn't it like day three they start to rebel? Is anyone? Like little, ki- like little kids. And it's like you tell them what to do, and they're like, and they turn around and go the other way. And you're like, wow, that young, already rebelling against what I tell them to do. And some of you guys, you guys know for real because you were the rebels, weren't you? You got into middle school, you got into high school, didn't matter what people told you, you did the opposite, right? We are just naturally good at rebelling. But the rules and expectations around us, see, those things can kind of feel like shackles, can't they? Man, what, what your parents want for you, and what, what God wants for you, what society wants for you. And you start to feel this oppression, like I'm being, I'm being weighted down. And if I rebel and I got away from all these things, I would, I would finally be, be free. The snake leads Eve, Bane leads Gotham, Satan leads us. He tells us that if, if, if you're in control, if you were finally the one who was calling the shots, man, things would be good. Man, increased freedom. You decide what you want to do, when you want to do, how you want to do. It'd be so much better than all this trying to play for someone else and do what they want you to do. I mean, think about it. He says, man, you know, you could do whatever you want to. You could experience whatever you want to. You could consume whatever you want to. You can say whatever you'd want to to whoever you'd want to. You could experience anything you'd like to. You can engage in any pleasures of this world. The problem, the problem with this liberation is that it's false. It's false because at first it starts to seem right. You're like, if I didn't have to do all this, and I'd be free. I could decide what I wanted to do. But the problem is, is this, this freedom. It's actually quite false. Speaking about false leaders, the Bible has something interesting to say. Bain would definitely qualify, I would think. Second Peter 2.19, it says this. Listen to this truth. It says, speaking of the leaders, they promise freedom, but they themselves are slaves of sin. And corruption. For you are a slave, you read that, to whatever controls you. You're a slave to whatever controls you. Jesus, he says it as well in John 8, 34. Jesus says it this way. I tell you the truth, everyone who sins is a slave to sin. So it's interesting because the enemy comes and he says, you know, all this don't do this and don't do that. That's just all a bunch of rules. But man, you could get away from it. You could have freedom to be able to do whatever you'd want and think about it. But see, Jesus says, well, no, it's not true. He says, all those things that are against me that I tell you don't do, I tell you don't do them for your own good. Because what I'm saying is, is it feels like freedom, but it's slavery. He says, false freedom. You're going to feel like you're getting free But he said, the reality is, is he says, you're being put in chains. You're becoming a slave. You know, it's actually not that hard to see. Not that hard to see at all. You know, we think about the freedom of the partier, right? The freedom of the person who drinks whatever they want, whenever they want, right? But if you've walked down that path, you know the slavery of addiction, and how before long, alcohol can become such a dependent that you can't even function without it. It's funny, freedom, slavery. 
You can look at someone with that freedom where they're, they're the person who is, is promiscuous and they have lots and lots of, of fun experiences sleeping with anyone who they want to. But then you talk to somebody who's walked through it and it's weird because you start to see this, this sadness in their eyes. Later on when they start to walk through it and they realize this feeling of, of not feeling valued unless unless they can find another person to sleep with them, unless they can find someone else to compliment them. You look at the freedom of obviously someone who's, who's high or, or, or basically doing, doing drugs, right? There's, a, there's an ultimate one. Let's break free from the expectations of probably your parents, society, the law, everything. But then there's these intense chains of addiction. Where I've had friends who've been into illegal drugs for a long time, and then I talk to them, and I'm like, do you see what you're telling me right now? I mean, do you understand what you're telling me about what your life actually functions like and how difficult and terrible it is? False freedom. Or you look, look at the freedom of somebody who no longer worries about what society wants for them, no longer worries about what their family wants for them, what their friends want for them. And then walking through it on the other side, you can see the intense sadness and solidarity. You know, it's funny because on the other side of it, none of us would call these people free, would we? Experiencing and actually getting to see it, none of us would call these people free because we realize, man, they're not. All these people who think, I'm free from all these different things after you've been through it or after you've talked to it, you realize, man, they're not free at all. Such is the same of sin. It looks great. It looks like it's a cause for freedom. But it's false freedom. And it leads us into slavery. This bomb that I was talking about in the story, really interesting. He brings this bomb. And it is a symbol of sin in so many ways. And I got to tell you, because as I'm, I'm watching it, I'm like, oh my goodness. I mean, there's so much depth to it. And I could probably preach for like two hours, but you guys don't want to sit here for two hours. So let me just bullet point a couple, a couple for you because it, it's so clear. Like I said, it says it brings liberation from society. And man, sin will do that. It's true. Yeah, it brings freedom from expectations of other people. But it also represents it because once it's pulled from its right place, the scientists realize this thing is decaying rapidly. It is decaying rapidly and becoming more and more unstable with every passing minute that it's not in its right place. Let me say this. Sin in your life doesn't stay the same. It doesn't. If you've walked in it before, you've known people who've delved in it deep in their life, sin degrades. You don't experience sin and then this is part of your life and it's that freedom, whatever, but I like to think of sin almost like a, like a ski hill. You can't stand on a ski hill. You progressively slide farther and farther and farther down it. And what happens is this sin begins to degrade, and it begins to degrade not just um, our own lives, but the people around us as well, too. And it begins to, to fade our morality. It begins to fade our understanding of what's right and wrong. And sooner or later, it finally breaks to a point where everything becomes relative, and what's wrong for you isn't wrong for me, or what's right for me isn't right for you. And, and it really doesn't matter because there really is no right or wrong. It doesn't really matter. There is no this is good and this is bad. It's all relative. The problem is, is as that develops, it goes past yourself, and then as it degrades farther and farther, 
it changes the way that you treat others. At first, it's all about yourself, and you, you put yourself in this slavery, and you hurt yourself, but before long, you actually begin to hurt those who are around you. You begin to put the other people around you in slavery as well, too, and you begin to destroy those relationships or even, even lose care for whether or not you hurt them anymore. Because it doesn't matter, really, does it? You know, on July 20th, um, at 12.30 in the morning, a man named James Holmes actually walked into a theater showing this movie, and he opened fire on innocent bystanders. He killed 12 people, and he wounded 58 other people, and that made it the worst shooting in the history of the United States. A little under two months ago, while well, this movie was previewing. Now, I didn't say this to say that he's some evil man. That's not what I'm trying to communicate, but what I'm trying to communicate is this. It degrades. Sin degrades. And it keeps taking you farther and farther and farther than you want to go. It starts out as something small, but it leads us to more and more rebellion against ourselves And before long, where we don't even care about those around us. And like I said, where that decline comes, where we can't even differentiate right from wrong. The enemy will pile so many lies, so much pain in your life, that it no longer matters. I can say this. Relativism cannot be true. It cannot be true because... Even in this crowd this size, all of us can agree that what he did was wrong. What he did could not be called right. And see, that lends to believe that then there must be something bigger than us that sets wrong or right. All of us understand it is not right to go and shoot 12 innocent people and kill them. It's not right to go and shoot 58 others. There's something wrong with that. Why? Because there's something inside of us deep down that knows right and wrong. Relativism cannot be true. It cannot. In the movie, as I said, this this bomb, this representation of sin, it perpetually degrades and gets worse and worse. And what's really bad is people say, well, we'll just keep our heads down. We won't make noise. Before long, this whole thing will blow over. But the people who understand it, they say that's not the case at all. Because as this thing degrades, soon enough it will become unstable and it will destruct. False freedom carries with it a date of destruction. False freedom carries with it a date of destruction. The freedom that's found in sin has an end date. It won't last forever and it will cost you much more than you were hoping to spend for that freedom. James 1, 14 through 15, it says this, Temptation comes from our own desires, which entice us and drag us away. Look at this. These desires give birth to sinful actions. And when sin is allowed to grow, it gives birth to death. What he's saying is this. He says all those desires, man, just, just the freedom of living in your desires. The problem is, is that brings sin. It brings the enemy of God doing what God does not want for your life. And he says, then when you have freedom in that sin and you let it grow all up and get bigger, what it gives birth to is a lot uglier 
It's death. He says, when sin grows up in your life, when you partake in that freedom for so long, the date of destruction is coming, and it brings with it death. At the end of this movie, the bomb is ticking down to destruction. They know that it's coming, and they're racing to try to get this bomb away from the bad guys and into the hands of the men who are noble. Finally, they get control of it. But as they look at the clock that's on it, the countdown clock of its degradation, they literally have minutes. Minutes left. And as they stand around it, they realize that there's no possible way that everyone can get free of the blast. Nobody has enough time to be able to understand and disarm it. No one has the power to get rid of it, except one man. Batman. He ties a tether to the bomb, ties it to his bat copter of sorts, takes off with it, flies out into the bay, and sacrifices his own life at his explodes to save the lives of Gotham City. It takes me back to an exchange that we saw in the trailer between Catwoman and Batman. Selina is her name in the movie. And she says to him, you don't owe these people anymore. You've given them everything. And Batman's response is, not everything, not yet. Batman in this story is a clear representation of Jesus Christ. He is a clear picture of Jesus Christ. At the beginning, I thought it was really interesting. Bane comes and as he's talking to him, he says to a man, he says, I am Gotham's reckoning. And I think that's actually really perfect. Do you guys know what reckoning means? Reckoning means a settling of accounts. So when you reckon something, you make it right. Okay, if someone owes something to someone and you reckon that, they pay off the accounts. The debts are paid. And I think it's a perfect analogy to what the story portrays. Romans 6.23, it says this. This verse is intensely powerful. It says, The wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. It says that that freedom that we partake in, that living in, in sin and participating in it, it says that as we do that, we are racking up debt every single day. There's a debt that's being racked up by our sin, the wages for sin. What's being, what has to be paid is this debt of death. He says, basically, you guys have a pile sitting here of, of debt that's bogging you down by the time you get to the end of it. But he says the free gift and gifts you can't earn, they're given away freely. He says the gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. So literally death and life. Death and life. And it says that that transfer comes by Christ Jesus our Lord. There is a day of reckoning. There is a day of reckoning. There is a date of destruction in which our sin debt finally racks up and we come to the end of our life. And let me say this. Great amounts of sin require great amounts of death or, or it requires one death from someone who's truly great. One death from someone who's truly great. Just as Batman carried this false instrument of freedom away and paid for it with his life, Jesus 
carries our false instrument of sin away from our own lives and pays for it with his death. That's what he did on the cross. He carried our sin and paid for it with his death so that when we die, we don't have to pay our own debt. He paid it for us. That, that is true freedom. Not to sin, but from sin. Freedom from the slavery that that false freedom brings. That he says that you no longer have to pay the debts that are associated with all of the wrong living you did. I'll pay for them. You go ahead and you live a fulfilled life under me as your covering. Jesus paid for your sin. All of us. Right now, if you say, well, I don't have a relationship with Jesus. He already paid for your sin, though. The only thing different is you have to decide whether or not you're going to accept that gift. If someone tries to hand me a gift, I don't have to take it. I don't have to take a gift. If you bought it for me and you bring it here, I can go, no, no thanks. I don't have to take that gift. Jesus already did it for you, but it's up to you. It's up to all of us to accept that gift and then carry with it the, the reactions of it to take care of that gift. If I was to give you something, okay, I don't care what you do with it, but I want you to take care of it. You know what I'm saying? Whatever it is I give you. If I give you something, I don't care where you put it, I don't care how you carry it, but I want you to take care of it. Same thing. God says, Jesus paid for your life. He did this for you. And as a free gift, he gives you eternal life. But he says, now take care of it. Take care of it. Don't let it just fall by the wayside. Don't go back to all of that false freedom. Begin to live a life that's truly free. Jesus beat death. Three days after he was crucified and buried, he rose from the grave. Make sure you don't walk out too early on the movie or you might realize another symbolism that's great between Bruce Wayne and Batman. Jesus says that if you put your trust in his payment for your sin, you make him the Lord of your life. And what that means is it means living your life through his account. It means giving him access to your life, letting him change stuff in your life, giving him first call in your life. Sometimes when you have to make hard decisions, letting him make that decision. You say, I want to do this, excuse me, and you feel God say, no, that's not right for you. And you say, I trust him more than I trust me. Some of you have been living in false freedom. But what's interesting is I know there's some of you who've been living in this false freedom, but you know it's slavery. You know it. You know it because of how it feels. Some of you who started doing something because it felt like freedom, but now it feels like shackles around your ankles, doesn't it? You can't get away from it. You can't break free of it. You can't change it. And you realize, I thought this was bringing me something better, but now I can't even live life without it. Whatever it may be. It might be a substance. It might be an addiction to other people. Relationships. Whatever it may be, you've been living in false freedom. And what I want to say is that today Jesus says, I want to give you true freedom. True freedom. I want to take away that whole false stuff that you've been living by. I want to show you that I have something so much better for you. 
That's freedom from all of this garbage. That you still don't need to apply to all society's norms. You still don't need to fulfill what everyone else wants for you. You just need to fulfill what I want for you because what I want for you is the best, and I promise that. When I say don't do something, when I told Eve, don't eat from that tree, I wasn't saying it because the fruit tasted good. I was saying it because it brought about destruction in her life, and I didn't want that for her. That's what Jesus is saying today. I want you guys real quick, close your eyes. Bow your head for a second. What I'd love for you guys to do is, is, is if today you realize I've been living in false freedom. I don't have a relationship with Jesus right now, and I need one. I need to understand what Jesus did for me. I need to, I need to start it, even if I don't understand everything yet. I get what you're saying. He paid for my sin. I want to start this relationship with him today. If that's you, what I want you to do, just real quick, okay? Raise your hand above your head so I can see your hands. No one else is looking around. If it's you, I see you guys back on the left over here, yeah? I see you right here in the center, sir. I see you back in the back right, ma'am. I see you guys. Keep your hands up for a second. I just want to see so I can, when I pray over you guys. Yeah, I see you. All right, join with me in this prayer, all you guys. All of you to do is just keep your eyes closed. And all of us, let's pray with them for a second, okay? Just repeat after me this prayer. Lord Jesus, I am sorry for the sin. It didn't bring me freedom. Thank you for dying to pay for my sin and giving me true freedom. Please become my Lord. Change my life. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen, guys. That's awesome. For you, um, one, two, three, four, five, five or six people who gave their life to Jesus, I pray that God would do something miraculous for you in this next week. I pray that God would show you that he wants to bring you not harm. He wants to do the best for you. He wants to lead you to something greater than you've ever been part of before. And I pray that he would bring true freedom to you. One last final thing before you guys leave, before I let you go. I wanted to say this. There's this awesome verse in the Bible. It's Galatians 5, 13 through 14. It says this. For you have been called to live in freedom, my brothers and sisters. But don't use your freedom to satisfy your sinful nature. Instead, use your freedom to serve one another in love. For the whole law can be summed up in this one command. Love your neighbor as yourself. For you guys who already know Jesus, he paid a great deal for your freedom. Don't waste it. Don't waste it on stupid things. Live it out. Come back next week and experience the rest of At the Movies.